All right, welcome back once again, loyal listeners, to COVID College. My name is Jack Povolitis. And I'm Sean Lonergan, and this is COVID College. Right now, we're coming to you with an episode, and we thought we'd take a look at social life and dating life in quarantine and what it was like before, what it's like in this world when we can't see each other without cloth on our face, and what things might look like after. Kicking it off right away, I wanted to ask you, Sean, I think we should just talk a little bit about what it was like before the pandemic in regards of what it was like to be with friends, hang out with people, just exist in specifically like a college campus. Yeah, I mean, face-to-face interactions are a relic of the past at this point. It's been a good two and a half months, and most of my social interactions have been via Zoom, our good friend Zoom, that we just can't seem to get away from nowadays, but it's the only medium we have. But getting back to how things were pre-pandemic, day-to-day, face-to-face interactions, you take those for granted. For me, I, I had a very close-knit group of friends that I hung out with who were my cross-country and track teammates. So going from seeing them every day, multiple times a day, at dinner, studying, practice, and every everything in between to barely seeing them at all, that was quite the shock to the system. So... This episode is definitely an important one to have in the sense that this is something that we haven't had to confront. We, we talked a little bit about this before, Jack, but the big knock against our generation is that we struggle with eye contact and we can't get off our phones. Our faces are glued to our devices all the time. Mm-hmm. And this pandemic has seemed to force the issue of cherishing those relationships and going out of your way to have those interactions because now that face-to-face interactions are so scarce, having that time to interact with people, it seems to have flipped the script on everything and how we view it, which I think is the most interesting dynamic. I don't know if you have anything to say on that. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I mean, I lived in a quad when I was at school, and so I knew every day I was going to see at least those three people, especially late at night. You talk about how our generation is criticized for using technology as that buffer, that medium, instead of using that face-to-face interaction. But even using that as a crutch with a lot of people, I still notice a huge difference now that I don't see really anybody face-to-face. It's different because you fall into that routine of, for you on that team of seeing those teammates every day, especially when you're in season. And for somebody who just has those roommates, seeing them every day when you come home. And it's different now to have to Zoom call them every once in a while to catch up. Otherwise, it feels like a super long spring break without the fun parts of a spring break. Yeah, except you're trapped in your house. (laughs) (laughs) It's a spring break, but inside and no contact and stay away from people. So it's not even like spring break. It's like every crummy part of a spring break. (laughs) All the boredom that you have in between, or if it's like the year where you're not going anywhere and you just end up going home and you endure the week and you get back to see your friends, it's just like that except times 10. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, multiply that by the largest number known to humankind. And that's what it's going to feel like when we get back. Right. Yeah, and transitioning through that is how have friend groups stayed in touch while we've been in a pandemic. I know my friends and me have a couple times done Zoom happy hours, which I've just heard the nifty abbreviation of Zappy Hour. So we will be trademarking that. But yeah, people have been getting pretty creative. I was wondering if you've heard of any creative ways that people have been keeping in touch. Yeah, I mean, you touched on it really well. I think the Zappy Hour phenomena is something that's been a prominent product of the pandemic. It seems like the best way 
to get a large group of people on one platform so that they can interact, catch up, share a drink together. Of course, for Jack, a non-alcoholic drink. Um, <laughs> a kitty cocktail for me only. Right, only Shirley Temple's only for Jack. We know that. Yeah. Well, it's my preferred drink, so exactly. it would make sense. Exactly. I think that's been something that I've appreciated a lot. At the very least, we can feel fortunate enough to have the technology to stay in touch with one another. And being able to see people's faces, I mean, it's very different than the face-to-face interaction that now we're starting to realize how much we miss miss it when we don't have full access to it. But I think it's it's definitely the next best thing. And at least in my within my friend group, most people have been putting in a really strong effort to stay in contact with one another and having regular, regular zappy outers or even just regular meetings where uh, we can talk, catch up, check in on one another because... It's it's hitting everybody hard, and I think it's important that people can share their emotions about something like this because nobody's ever experienced anything like it, and it's important to have people you're, who you're close to, to to talk to. And to be able to have software like Zoom and all those other sort of platforms to do it, I think, is, has been, at least for me, been really therapeutic. I'm sure for you it's been similar, Jack. That's actually interesting because, I mean, I've done maybe a handful of Zoom calls with friend groups. I've probably done as many group calls for study groups for class as I've done calls with my friends so really not that many I think it's interesting you brought up how this separation of everybody has your friend group has really sort of made a huge effort for that and I've noticed that individually with friends of mine there's been efforts made but it actually seems like the group as a whole has sort of fractured Mm. it's interesting Mm. that it's not even smaller groups in the bigger group. It really just seems to be individual people reaching out to individual people, which I think is also telling of what we're in right now. Like some people are having a much harder time transitioning, dealing with going home, that different situation, the stress, the sadness, whatever you want to call it, of not being where you imagined. You didn't, you know, nobody imagined they'd be leaving this place so abruptly. Right indefinitely and so i think that it's hitting everybody differently but i've definitely felt the comfort when i have caught up with groups of friends that it's been nice and i think you bring up another good point with that jack regarding it's different for every friend group and i think for me it's unique because i was in a very structured environment where we had team meetups um, during the weekend um, and we use zoom as kind of a proxy for that where we would still have those meetups and would still have that time frame set aside during the week, just it wouldn't be face-to-face, of course. So that's why I'm curious about how it is with, with other friend groups that might be just because you're living together or you've lived together the last couple of years. And if you're not living together, if there's not any sort of structure that was in place beforehand, then it might be, like you said, it might be more difficult for groups to coordinate outside of that context, which I think is another interesting element that plays into it. And another thing that you've at least described, Jack, to me, as being a good way of catching up with friends is through the uh, all-important medium of video games. Can you talk about that a bit? Yes, the medium that now dominates my life, <laughs> pastimes, and the destruction of my corneas is uh, <laughs> video games. It's definitely, I mean, just demographically, it's how I've really kept up more with like my guy friends from school. And it's interesting because I've noticed that, you know, I'm in a relationship, so that's, I call with my girlfriend every day, every maybe two days, and we're in fairly consistent contact. But my close guy friends, like my roommates, the guys I live with, will 
play video games, we'll talk and we'll catch up, and then there will be a sporadic call, and it seems it's interesting that there's just a much different level of necessary effort required to feel like that relationship is maintained. But yeah, video games are an interesting medium for it, because it's kind of funny how it goes. If you're playing a game like Call of Duty, the beginning of the game, you're catching up, you're talking, you're joking around, and as the game progresses and less and less people are in it, and it gets more and more intense, you start to become more and more focused on the moment, mm. and then either you win or you die or something happens, and then it completely resets the dynamic, <laughs> and you're back to talking and catching up again. So it's pretty funny. Yeah, um, definitely. It's been nice. It's been good. It seems like that's been a pretty popular way to replace your all-important uh, weekend fillers, just your, your classic college parties. That's a relic of the past as well. What? Colleges have parties? This is news, news flash. You heard it here first, folks. Colleges indeed have parties. COVID college has parties, COVID college so if you're parties. looking to enroll. Exactly. <laughs> I've heard they're great. <laughs> Everyone gets tested and temperature checked before you enter the Zoom chat. Of course, so. of course. We, we follow proper health protocols here at COVID College. Strict proper health protocols. Indeed. Uh, yeah, no, that's an interesting point. And I think what comes in with that too is the ingestion of different types of substances you'd be taking. <laughs> and I really honestly just mean like drinking. That's the biggest one I've right. noticed is I think some people have come back home and realize they drink more and some people have come back and realize they drink less i was what do you think about that it is an interesting thought experiment and i think what i found for me is that in my sort of team environment there's very much that stereotypical culture of go hard go home culture that you encounter mm -hmm. at all too many uh liberal arts schools of people letting loose but i think i was already at a point where i'd, I'd had my fun and i was more of kind of the shepherd of the younger kids um <laughs> but going back home i i found that you're, when you're out of that environment, there is an overwhelming, not overwhelming, I want to say like a significant, significantly different sort of feel. Like even the happy hours, you're just like, oh, I'm here by myself. I might have a drink or two and then just call it. And, I, and honestly, it's been a lot more enjoyable. I feel like I've discovered the best thing since sliced bread. Um, <laughs> now I understand. <laughs> now I get why adults drink, but don't just drink as much as they possibly exactly. can. Exactly. It, it was a truly yeah. a, it was truly a revelation to me. And and it's enjoy I feel like I've been drinking more frequently, but I've been drinking maybe once or twice or, or one or two drinks, maybe mm -hmm. two, three, four times a week rather than like like in dry season of course for my teammates out there, my coaches. Mm -hmm. Um rather than like, you know, on the weekends or once or once or twice a weekend, that kind of thing. And I think that's been another. That's been a really interesting change that I've experienced, at least. I don't know if it's been similar for you, Jack, or if it's been a little bit different. Oh, it's been very similar for me. I would actually say the level of drinking for me is way decreased, way lower. It's, you know, it's just me and my mom here. And so when I came home, she asked if we wanted to get just a couple of things to have around the house. And I was like, sure. But I haven't really seen myself really utilize that that much. I don't know if it's just because, you know, my family isn't a huge drinking like family at family functions. We don't really Thanksgiving. It's more the that sparkling grape juice is served at dinner. And I still go for that immediately. Even if offered, <laughs> even if offered an alcoholic substitute, I'm like, no, where's the grape sparkling? That's what I came here for. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing. But I think what's also interesting is the type of alcohol I have been drinking while I've been home is way different. Mm. You know, at school, it was the cheapest beer I could find. And literally, the price was the most 
important thing for me. What is the thing? What can I get that's potentially in single digits for cost? <laughs> While maximizing proof. <laughs> yeah, it's that sort of that like that inverse graph of lowest price, highest proof. You need to hit that sweet Man. spot. But now it's at home, it's been, what would taste the best? And that's just a very, kind of like you said, like you're enjoying it more. You're not drinking as much, but you might drink more often. It's a new experience. I feel much more mature. <laughs> I feel like I'm making a decision <laughs> instead of... <laughs> instead of just finding the cheapest thing on the <laughs> cheapest thing available and going with that, you have you have options here. Yeah. We, you finally got options. And that, that makes me think about what it's going to be like when we go back or even when I see friends again, because that's something that's been happening quite a bit, actually, in in this whole context of social life now. How do you interact with friends is, I don't know if you've had this, Sean, but I've had quite a few friends say, oh, when this is all over, we're going to plan this trip or when things are safe, when are we all going to meet up? And it's this, I, I am, have to imagine I'm not the only one that's had those conversations. So I have to imagine there's going to be this huge surge of travel. But when is that going to happen? That's the big question. I, 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 and I've had similar conversations, but it's hard to plan, right? The, the whole idea of planning, it goes out the window since the pandemic is inherently unpredictable and it's just thrown a wrench into everything that you may have had planned before and anything that you may have had planned after that, thinking that the pandemic would last a month or two. That's something that's, uh, completely altered things as well so it definitely has been a com topic of conversation for me with my friends talking about when we're going to meet up again especially for me having things cut short as a senior being able to see my, my buddies again and one of those things which we'll talk about talk about in future episodes is the idea of having our actual graduation ceremony next year and you know reconvening and getting people back together as a reunion and having that be something that's extra special but I'm sure it's different for, for different people and different of different ages, um, different students. I'm sure for you as a sophomore, Jack, it's a little bit different because you know you'll eventually see your friends. Um, obviously, you're still not sure, right, when you're going to get back, but you know that there's that light out there in the tunnel. You'll eventually be back yeah, back with yeah. your friends. Yeah, uh, no, totally. I, it's more that how long is it going to be? <laughs> and I think you bringing up that sort of reunion for those people whose time got cut short and then ended. I mean, it's a, unfortunately a silver lining and it's probably not the best, it's not the perfect solution, but it is an option sort mm -hmm. of, which is really at least the starting point. Hopefully we can, you can take it something bigger from there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But what I think what kind of then what is a good place for us to go from, from that conversation is, when people get back on, well, not even when people get back on campus, but that other side of campus life, which is that dating hookup culture side. Uh, yes. And how, how I know that you've talked to some friends about how their experiences have changed or what they've seen with mm -hmm. this change with COVID right. and everything. So, yeah, I've had th one one thing right off the bat, one little story I can tell, and I'll, I'll keep him anonymous, of course, but uh, he was kind of seeing a young lady for the better part of a month or so, and they it, it was still kind of a not-so-serious relationship, at least it seemed like to me. Um, but he ended up taking the leap of faith, and he, he's, from, he's from the West Coast, and he ended up going over to live with her family on the East Coast for the past two months until classes got out. And... 
Now, Sean, I'm not a major in geography, but that is the opposite direction. That correct? is the opposite direction. That is about three thousand miles away. Um, and just just making just making sure. sure, yeah. Well, I'm glad you did because I think our loyal listeners really need to know that this this was quite the jump he was making, both geographically and relationship wise. And it seemed like things went about as well as you could have expected them to, based on the interactions I had with him via these happy hours. He seemed like he was getting along with her family really well, and they he kind of got into it. They got into a groove really easily, and there was really no problems. But I can't imagine. At least I don't know. I don't know how you view it, Jack. But I can't imagine being at that level of a relationship and making that sort of jump, like essentially essentially moving in with somebody right after a month or two of starting to see them. It seems it seems kind of mind boggling, at least for me. I don't know what you have to say on that matter. Yeah, uh, mind-boggling is a is a great way to put it because I couldn't even imagine moving in with one of my roommates' families <laughs> after that short of time. Right. Let alone, oh hey, I'm kind of seeing your child, but like not officially, but also not not officially. Right. Things are weird. Get the in our generation. Yeah, we're not really putting a label on it, but I'm gonna move in and stay in your guest room and eat your food and i'm not gonna be able to see anybody else but you so i hope we like each other it's probably what i imagine was said and i just could not bring myself to say that to a person's parents uh so i definitely don't know how i feel about that it's really like that's really similar to something that i've had a couple of my friends who will stay anonymous but uh it happened with them they both were talking to uh, they were talking to guys before the pandemic started and things were both sort of on the track to move more serious. And then they decided to get into a relationship. At least the first of the, my two friends waited a month after the pandemic started mm. to start a relationship. And then the other one was only a couple of weeks ago. Um, Sean, and now this, I would like you to be as objective as possible. <laughs> and this isn't to be mean, but do you think that's a good idea? I, I'd imagine it's not. Um, even, even based on the situation with my friend, I was very skeptical about how it'd end up and just having something like that starting over, over distance. It just, I, I just don't see it as, as a remote possibility of working out, but I could be wrong. Yeah. The interesting thing to me was their reasoning was, well, this pandemic thing is crazy and we don't talk to anybody else. We don't mm. want to see anybody else. And so that's the next logical step. Here's the question that I have is that based on how these relationships developed in the first place, how is it that they're going to continue after the pandemic is over? And second, what is this connection more based on? Is it more emotional or physical connections? Because the whole mm. idea of mm -hmm. hookup culture in college is based on that physical attraction, right? And getting... Uh, getting satisfaction from that aspect of a relationship with somebody. But the whole idea of maybe like, and you know, this is, this may come as a surprise for many of you listeners, but actually formulating a connection on, with somebody based on their personality rather than their appearance, that might become, that might've become a necessity for a lot of people looking for uh, intimacy during pandemic times. What do you have to say about that, Jack? Yeah, honestly, you put exactly what I was rambling on about. <laughs> I couldn't get it into words. I was trying to find a way to say it and you perfectly, you you towed the line perfect. But yeah, I totally agree. And, I, and that's the thing is I think that emotional intimacy is an important thing, but how emotionally intimate can you be with a person over the phone, over a poor connection screen on FaceTime? <laughs> and 
Sure. Yeah. Like totally agreed that hookup culture relies on that physical connection, but a relationship also needs that. Mm. And so it, it just seems confusing to me to jump into a relationship that you can't, like you said, how do you establish those boundaries and those sort of like expectations once you then get back in person? Mm-hmm. Because I would argue it makes more sense to go from in-person to virtual rather than virtual to in-person. Mm. Um, but I, it's not my place to judge. I hope things go well. But yeah, I think that that's probably going to have been a common thread with this pandemic is people sort of saying screw it (laughs) we talk to each other every day let's date (laughs) yeah yeah. (laughs) i mean it's definitely like we've been saying it's a it's unique times and with unique times comes unique relationships and if people are figuring it out you know more power to them if anything it, it it should at least give people perspective on what they're looking for in a partner or somebody they want to have a connection with um Mm -hmm. Rather than just mindlessly swiping left and right on Tinder, I think it's a lot. It seems to be, at least in our experiences, uh, it seems to be more than that, which that seems to be moving in the right direction when it comes to moving towards a, a culture, even if it's a hookup culture that's persisting remotely, at least people are giving it more thought into the people that they're they're being perhaps being intimate with once they get back or however they're choosing to pursue. Uh, their relationship with somebody else. That also brings up another question for me, and I was interested to hear, again, your perspective on this, Jack, regarding once people do get back, how people are going to be treating the potential health risks um, associated with being with somebody when there's still that risk of contracting the disease. And you presume that people are going to be careful, and once they get back, that it, it should be COVID-free campus, but there's just no way of knowing. So do you think there's any sort of procedure that colleges should put in place? Or do you think there's going to be a certain way people are going to behave? I'm still kind of figuring that, trying to figure that out. I was curious about what your view was on that. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting question. My advice to college campuses and the people in the administration trying to speak to students would be try to make masks as attractive as possible. Make them like a sex symbol, make them an attractive symbol, make them something that other students are going to see students wearing and say, yeah, good. Good thing you're wearing that. Uh, But no, I don't know. Because I think, I mean, obviously we can all say, and kids will tell their parents and friends will tell their friends, I'm going to be safe. You know, I'm not going to be risky. I'm not, I'm going to ease into things. I'm not going to see a lot of people, but that's, that's just all a bunch of lies, I would say. You've been away from all your friends. You've been away from college. This lifestyle that is everyone says is the best time of your life for months now. Of course, the second you get back, people are going, that casual scene is going to just explode. <laughs> and so you hope that people are going to kind of that conversation and that checking of contact tracing. Who have you been in contact mm. with? Have you talked to anybody or been with anybody or seen anybody that is sick? or was sick, you hope that they turn that conversation into something similar to the conversation around like STDs. Mm-hmm. You know, have you been tested? That type of thing. But yeah, I, I hope that people show the slightest bit of safety and concern, right. but I just don't know. I feel like people are going to throw caution to the wind. What do you think? I mean, my, my view on it is you see how quickly things like that are less contagious than coronavirus spread around campuses, like, you know, the flu or the cold 
Like those things spread like wildfire. TikTok too. <laughs> exactly. For me, it, it seems only prudent to have that sort of system in place set up and making sure that campuses are ready to handle that kind of influx of people on the campus because it just doesn't it doesn't make sense to me to completely open things up and not have those safeguards in place. So the idea of having people wear masks and having contact tracing in place systems in place I think just seems like common sense. And like you were saying, this is what we've been doing all along with STDs, like it should it should translate over into something like like the pandemic we're dealing with right now. I do have one one little quick story to go uh, to tell before we move on to our Trump quotes. Um, I, had a, I had a buddy that um, who had heard a rumor that somebody at a, it was like a St. Patrick's Day uh, day party, Darties as uh, we colloquially mm-hmm. refer to them. Um, <laughs> as, the, as the hip right. kids call them. We just put two words right, together. Exactly. <laughs> and he heard that some girl would kiss some guy. They had, she might have it. And that everybody, and then he went over, like, everybody who had contact with her. And I'm like, if only we had this focus and attention on other stuff that should be, should be awarded more attention. It just seems, you know, people mm-hmm. really, really seem to be prudent about it, which I think is a good thing. But I just wish that that sort of caution, like you were saying, that, that safety and concern was uniform across uh, issues that have been around. That we just haven't addressed them. But that, that's my piece on it. Yeah, I, I mean, I hope the same too. I would say a potential solution, there's there's normal Tinder and then you can pay for Tinder gold. But maybe we could say with three uh, negative test results submitted to Tinder, you can access the Tinder COVID page. Hey. And that's only people that have tested negative enough to say they don't have it. There you go. So Tinder should get on that because um, if they don't, we will. It'll be... Uh, COVID college. That's where we make our millions. That's where. That's really what this is all for. This is just a stepping stone to Indeed. our dating app. Yes. <laughs> There's swipe left and quarantine. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> all right. We're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be back with our Trump quotes. So stay tuned. And we are back. A busy day and a busy week and a busy couple weeks for our friend in the blue suit with the red tie and the orange hair. God, what an idiot. Uh, Sean, I was wondering if uh, you had any interesting tidbits from Mr. Trump that you'd like to share. Oh, well, there's never a dull moment with this man, and I am just oh so thankful for the wise words that he he has bestowed upon me these past few months. I, I think this, this bit has been really enlightening for me just to see it things from his point of view and paying attention to what he has to say and seeing the logic that comes with it. So this one, this was actually uh, yesterday, May May 25th, and this was in response to Trump being spotted golfing while um, the death toll for coronavirus was approaching 100,000 people and how bad of a look that, that appeared to be for him. Uh, so this was his response, and it was in installments of three tweets, so bear with me here, because I think it's important to recount the full scale of Trump's justification for what he was doing, so I'll just go right into it. Some stories about the fact that in order to get outside and perhaps even a little exercise, I played golf over the weekend. The fake and totally corrupt news makes it sound like a mortal sin. I knew this would happen. Of course he would. What they don't say is that it was my first golf in almost three months, and if I waited three years, they would do their usual hit pieces anyway. They are sick with hatred and dishonesty. They are truly deranged. They don't mention Sleepy Joe's poor work ethic, 
or all of the time Obama spent on the golf course, often flying to Hawaii in a big, fully loaded 747 to play. What did that do to the so-called carbon footprint? He also played moments after the brutal killing by ISIS of a wonderful young man. Totally inappropriate. It was me who shattered 100% of the ISIS caliphate. I was left a mess. Now, Jack, this is a lot to unpack because we started with golf and we ended with ISIS. So I'm just going to leave it at this. Um, you know, Trump, you can do whatever you want. You've been going to your 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 estate in Mar-a-Lago the whole time you've been president. You've spent, I, I believe, more time there than you have in the White House. So this isn't new news for anybody. Um, I just think... I just think the whole idea of how defensive he gets and how he's got to bring it, bring some sort of blame to somebody else, shifting the blame, it's just, he's just an expert at it. He's seamless in the way he executes this. Shifts it from him seamlessly to his primary, his primary opponent, Sleepy Joe Biden and Obama. And let us remind you, Obamagate is still a thing. Um, I think this... We don't know what the, it is, but it's still a thing. It is still a thing, and you, we know what it is. He doesn't even need to tell us. But <laughs> I think the the way that he ended up shifting this blame was just seamless. And um, I think... I don't know. I don't I don't really have much else to say other than he's just a mastermind of deception. He, he, he misdirects things, and he, he... This is how he gets things done. This is how... This is how the world... The world revolves around Donald Trump. This is how things appear to him, and I... You know, I, I don't have much else to say. I don't know about, about you, Jack, but that's that's my take. Yeah, uh, no, I, I totally agree. And I mean, you said in the beginning of this, he started with golf and ended with ISIS. And I would just say, I've never not played golf and finished around and not been on the conversation of ISIS. So it just seems natural that he would go there with it because golf and ISIS just, I don't go think, hand in I hand. think they're... Peanut butter and jelly. Peanut butter, jelly, cocaine and waffles, you know, <laughs> all the great one-two punches, shake and bake, golf and ISIS. It there just has that ring to it. Got it. It rolls off the tongue smoothly. <laughs> it would be a great storefront. What do we sell? We sell ISIS memorabilia and the new Nike 9-iron. So come in and get your goods. Um, <laughs> yeah, he brought up every one of the traditional scapegoats while normalizing his own behavior that is not normal because also like yeah he, oh obama went to go play all the time in hawaii but i don't really remember that ever happening as much as trump plays in mar-a-lago and also what does it matter that it's a fully loaded 747 isn't it just the fact that he flew there doesn't it it shouldn't matter if it's empty or loaded it should matter that he's going there but that's right. small potatoes. I'm not 100% convinced Trump knows what a 747 <laughs> is. He might think it's a, a semi-automatic rifle, the way he's describing it. I'd... He might think it's the new golf bag from Callaway. You know, he's got two seven and a too. six iron in there. He doesn't have a full set. How is he going to play the back nine? <sighs> exactly. That's, I, guess, I guess we'll never know. So how about you, Jack? What's your, what's your Trump my Trump quote is actually a quote from uh, today, or at least the newest news surrounding it is from today. So Trump tweeted, this is this is the quote, and I'll explain the context. The tweet is, there is no way, in parentheses, all capitals, zero, exclamation point, that mail-in ballots will be anything less than substantially fraudulent. Mailboxes will be robbed, ballots will be forged, and even illegally printed out and fraudulently signed. The governor of California is sending ballots to millions of people Anyone, dot, 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 living in the state, no matter who they are or how they got there, will get one. 
that will be followed up with the professionals telling all of these people, many of them who have never even thought of voting before, how and for whom to vote. This will be a rigged election. No way. Uh, first, the reason I picked this tweet specifically is because it's the first time Twitter has tagged one of President Trump's tweets with um, basically a fact check link. And it says this is where you can get the, click on this to get the information about mail-in voting. And so this is the first mm. move ever by Twitter or any social media platform to check his content. And I would say it's a little late, hmm. um, but better late than never. Better late than never. I mean, it <laughs> took them three plus years, but they're, they're finally doing it. He spelt so many words wrong. There was the infamous Kofefi tweet back in what feels like ages ago. That was 2017. But he mm -hmm. used the proper form of whom. And that just seems oddly out of his depth to just drop whom on everybody when I don't even know how to use it. Um, you know what's screwed up when you see him using just like pretty like mediocre words and you're <laughs> impressed you're like wow he i didn't know he was capable of speaking proper english yeah i'm so impressed that you <laughs> knew that word that they teach you in like eighth grade uh, yeah. um yeah but i just i just think it's interesting that um as if people you know when they sent out the stimulus checks I know they did a lot of them by direct deposit, but I'm sure some of them still came in physical check forms. People still get mailed ballots, and you don't see people robbing them and breaking into mailboxes. People get sent things like money in the mail all the time, and there's not this run on mailboxes. I just I just don't understand. It's like one piece of mail. People know when it's coming. That's just not something that happens. And no matter who they are or how they got there, we'll get one. Well, yeah. All you need to be is a citizen to vote. And California has a lot of people mm. that aren't citizens. But you'd hope, and I'd have to imagine there's some sort of system in place to make sure that people that aren't citizens don't vote. I think it's better mm. to give everybody a ballot and have to weed out the people that are trying not to vote than have a lot of people not vote. I just think it's backwards logic. A little thing that we like to call voter <laughs> suppression, and we'll leave it at that. What? <laughs> I've never heard that term before. <laughs> yeah, look it up. We, uh, you know, we can we can do a whole other series on that, but we'll leave it at that. There are two sides to the coin. And one last thing, quickly. I'm just looking at this again. Ballots. The part of ballots will be forged and evilly, even illegally printed out and fraudulently signed. Don't you think California would have some suspicions if their population is 60 million and they got 80, 80 million ballots? I don't think that's going to happen. You have to put down name and information on a ballot. But yes, voter suppression. Yeah, there's costs and benefits. Costs and benefits to democracy. I think it's it's the way you quantify them and recognize them. That's the important part. And I think there are different ways that people view it. And certainly ways that I don't agree with in, in how they're enacted in policy. And um, I'm going to leave it at that. I think I could go on for, for a very long time to talk about voter suppression. I think it's a very interesting issue. But I think our time here has run dry, uh, Jack, for this episode. We're going to leave it at that. Thank you for listening to this edition of COVID College. We're going to be getting back to you. Um, with uh, another episode about extracurricular activities. Until then, this is Sean. And this is Jack, and it's been COVID College.
COVID College is written and produced by Jack Pobolaitis, Sean Lonergan, and Sydney Pobolaitis. The show is edited by Sydney Pobolaitis, and the cover art is made by Grace Martin. The intro music is made by Kevin McLeod.